I think the the moments you'll remember the most are the moments where you took those risks and when you leaned into those gaps. Okay, welcome back to the Marketing Playbook presented by Details Interactive. Here you'll take away three game-winning marketing plays every episode to take back to your team. I'm your host, Mark Friedman, and my career has been focused on direct-to-consumer marketing, direct mail, physical retail, and digital commerce. This is episode number 35, and today's guest is Mike Dupuy. Mike is a senior digital and marketing strategist with over 15 years of experience in 360 brand development that has resulted in significant business and overall growth for companies including American Eagle Outfitters, The Children's Place, and PVH. As the chief digital officer of Spark Group, Mike oversees digital strategy, technological innovation, and marketing operations across a portfolio of leading global brands while driving the continued growth and development of Spark's shared digital ecosystem. Before we get started, a quick thank you as always to Max Brandstetter of the Wild Business Growth Podcast for producing this episode. You can reach him at max at maxpodcasting.com to help bring your podcast to life. Let's open the playbook. Ready, break. Well, hello, everyone. Thank you for joining the Marketing Playbook Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Mike Dupuy. Mike is the Chief Digital Officer at Spark Group, LLC. Spark Group LLC is a joint venture between Simon Property Group, a preeminent retail real estate company, and Authentic Brands Group, a global leader in brand development. Mike, welcome to the show. Thanks, Mark. I'm glad that uh, you were able to make some time. We're recording, uh, you know, mid-April 2021. Uh, we're kind of, uh, it seems, coming out of the pandemic. How are you and your family doing? Everyone's doing great. Thank you for asking. Uh, healthy and and looking forward to uh, a return to uh the new normal. Yeah, that's great. Well, you know, I feel like um, I know you forever. I think I do know you forever through the industry. But as as you and I have, have kidded around, we've never actually been in the same room at the same time. Um, I had the opportunity to work for you on a project uh, over the last year at Brooks Brothers in an interim role. Uh, it was great to get to uh, to work with you. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm glad that I had that opportunity. Yeah, it's it's been uh, it's been great connecting with you over the years uh, on different projects and 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 just being a soundboard for one another and and you know the work uh, and the effort that you put forth in helping us through the early days after the Brooks Brothers acquisition was um, tremendous. So we we greatly appreciate your help there. Well, thanks. So you know, as I like to to start these uh, shows, what is there about Mike Dupuy that you might say yourself is remarkable? Wow. Okay. That's a, that's an interesting question. I'm not sure. I, um, maybe this isn't, uh, my, my most comfortable thing to talk about myself, but I, I think, you know, I could start with a bit of my background. I grew up, um, you know, about an hour North of, of New York in Westchester County, you know, one of, of four kids within, uh, you know, five years of each other, uh, tight knit group, uh, of siblings. Uh, father was an attorney in the city, my, my mother uh, was a hospital administrator, ran hospitals for, for the majority of her career. You know, we were latchkey kids in, uh, in the late 70s and early 80s. And, uh, you know, that's, that's a little bit about me. 
Okay. Thanks for sharing. You know, we find, you know, oftentimes, especially when I'm talking to entrepreneurs, uh, that they have this story about, you know, their family, you know, there was somebody, a role model or mother, a mom or a dad or somebody else uh, that mentored them that was also uh, entrepreneurial in nature. You know, you've spent, you know, a good part of or all of your career on on, and, we'll, and we'll talk about that in in advertising on agency size and, and digital commerce. Anybody in your your past go down a path like that? Early inspiration definitely came from my mother, you know, trying to raise four kids and and um, you know working eighty to hundred hours a week and building teams and and you know we're we're, we're selling apparel and and she was you know contributing to people's healthcare and and providing a level of care and service and I think. You know, for me, that was certainly an early inspiration, and and you know, the amount she put into her work in building teams and providing care was was certainly an early inspiration for me. Got it. Maybe we do a little bit uh, rather than going uh, uh, in in order of your career. Let's jump right to Spark and the thesis of Spark. And you know, this obviously started way before the pandemic, but it it feels to me like it's taken on um, either it was it made sense to do it in on the heels of of the pandemic, but certainly it made a lot of sense before. So talk about the thesis of it, and then we can you know maybe talk about how it's changed a little bit since the pandemic started. Yeah, sure. I mean, Spark really came together. You you already explained uh, that uh, Spark is a joint venture between Simon Property Group and Authentic Brands Group. The idea was really born just under five years ago when uh, ABG and Simon came together uh, after Simon had acquired the assets of Postal uh, out of bankruptcy. The partnership was born at that point, uh, again, to come together and to create a leading uh, brand operating company. Uh, And I think that that idea has evolved Uh, And more recently, in the last uh, 16 months, uh, Spark has now taken on Forever 21, a little over a year ago. Uh, And then uh, in the last uh, seven months, as you know, last August, um, acquired both Lucky Brand uh, and Brooks Brothers uh, out of their uh, bankruptcy. Um, So again, the the idea was born uh, five years ago, and again, the thought was that uh, the partnership uh, creates significant uh, strategic advantage and operational value uh, by creating this portfolio of companies um, and Spark becoming the world leading brand operator. Got it. And and from the perspective of you know these brands that were acquired, I think this would be fair to say that all were troubled. Uh, before the acquisition, maybe not all of them. So m- maybe give us a little guidance there. Certainly Brooks Brothers was, they were in sure. bankruptcy. Yeah, and actually I, I missed a key uh, chapter of the story, which is that uh, the Nautica brand was acquired from BF Corporation uh, about two years after uh, uh, the Aeropostale uh, acquisition. And that Nautica was not uh, going through chapter 11. They were acquired uh, through BF Corp. Uh, and although you know, some of the uh, brands in the portfolio did come through Chapter 11. Uh, not all of them did. And, and I suspect as we go forward, not all of them will as we continue to, to grow the portfolio. Great. Okay. Well, we'll come back to Spark. Uh, I've got some other questions around that. But let's jump back to the early sure. part of your career. You were an agency guy, right? I was. I was. I started uh, my career in New York uh, at McCann Erickson. Let's call it the early to mid-90s, I'd like to say 
Yeah, I started uh, at McCarran Erickson as, a, as a, an assistant media planner uh, in their New York office. Uh, large agency, large media departments, uh, you know, world-class brands from, you know, L'Oreal and these are names that, that are not around anymore, but Solomon Smith Barney, U.S. Airways, uh, Gillette Stationery Division, and a number of others. Uh, it was a great opportunity to uh, break into the business. And, you know, much of what I've done over the past uh, several years still harkens back to uh, some of those early days in the agency business, evaluating media opportunities and uh, determining media strategies for some of my early clients. You know, that's a, such an interesting part of you think of how things have changed from back to the traditional media that you were working on to today, where, you know, we have got all of these different, you know, digital media challenges, yet one of the still the most pressing problems that these businesses face, and, and I always call it the A word, you know, attribution. How do you know where you're right, you know, what the right media mix is? And, and I, I realize that that could be an entire book. But, you know, as you sit in your role and, and we'll talk about what your role is, you know, how does one in this day and age with so many opportunities, so many options to invest marketing dollars, how, how do you kind of, you know, determine what that right spend level is for each of those channels? You know, as I sat there in, you know, 1995, 1994, 95, 96, and, you know, the commercial Internet uh, was really just. Uh, kind of uh, uh, taking over uh, as thing that was clearly not a temporary thing. Uh, one of the things that drew me to that was was sort of a, a version of the question you're asking now. You know, how do we uh, evolve this practice? Uh, how do we evaluate these opportunities and and present them to our clients in a uh, in, in a confident way, knowing that it would move their business forward? Uh, and I think the the innovation, uh, the uh, the change, the aspect of, of many of the things that were coming to market at the time was was the early draw for me. I think now in the past, you know, 10, 12 years, the, the ability to, you know, measure uh, with almost real time precision how the investments uh, we're now making with uh, our own dollars uh, are performing, I think, is one of the most exciting things uh, that we have the ability to do uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. And, and, and I think that it's changing as fast now as it was, you know, 10 years ago. And so that just tells me that, that we've got a long way to go before, before I think we'll able, be able to effectively answer that question. Well, when you figure it out, will you come back on the show and let everybody know what you, what you found? <laughs> I certainly will. Uh, so, you know, you spend these years in on the agency side. What was the uh, the linchpin that you didn't just wake up one morning and say, geez, I've had enough of the agency side. Now I'm going to be the nasty client, did you? <laughs> uh, well, not as far as you know, no. Um, <laughs> no, I, I, what happens, uh, you know, for anyone who spent – so a, a number of years, as many as I did on the, on the agency side, and I worked for some terrific agencies uh, led by uh, some really brilliant minds and worked on, I had the pleasure of working on and helping to steward some of the of the world's greatest brands as far as I'm, I'm concerned. So I, I don't regret a day I spent um, on the agency side. Uh, what, what happened um, for me as someone who, you know, by 2007 had spent, you know, 13 years 
um, on the agency side, working on so many different uh, businesses and brands, was that I, I was really looking to really put my fingerprints on, you know, an e-commerce business. Uh, and what I had been seeing for you know, at least the last three or four years of my uh, agency stint was that clients were becoming more and more not only open to, but sort of uh, uh, aware of the fact that building in-house capabilities for digital uh, was uh, not just possible, but, but in many cases more efficient uh, than outsourcing or going through agencies for all of those services. In the, in the late 90s, uh, when you know, I was helping to build many large brands' first web presence, right? there was, a, there was a, a, a series of conversations about, well, we're not a tech company. I'm talking from a brand's perspective, that is. We're not a tech company. So we should outsource our tech. And then people realized, well, I'm afraid we're all tech companies and we need to embrace that. We need to determine what that means uh, for us um, and begin to build out some of those capabilities uh, in-house. I would say fast forward five, six, seven years, um, many of those same conversations were happening within the brands with respect to e-commerce. Well, and so we should be outsourcing this. And, and what I was seeing and feeling was that actually that question was gonna be answered in a similar way. And, and these brands were gonna realize, I'm afraid not only are you a tech company, but you're also an e-commerce company uh, as well. And now I think we're in the third wave of that mark, which is companies previously saying they're not data uh, companies. And, and now that question is also being answered differently and saying, actually, we're now a data company <laughs> as well. Uh, and I think if you wanna compete, then, then you know, that thought evolution has to, has to happen. So for me, you know, I had an opportunity uh, to, to join uh, the American Eagle Outfitters team uh, in Pittsburgh, uh, overseeing digital marketing and the, the front end uh, of their growing e-commerce business. Uh, they had seen quite a bit of success before I arrived and, and thankfully, and I'm very thankful for, for the time I spent there and, and, and that uh, it didn't take me too long to come to the realization uh, that, that building those capabilities in-house was not only, you know, achievable, but was the best combination of factors for me personally. Great. That's great. You know, I, I think your point about data is so true. And it's it's funny because it's, you know, we've, we've talked about big data for so long, but yet, you know, when I see in my consulting journey or in different businesses that I've been an employee of, uh, how they use the data, getting the data into a orchestrated and consistent format so that you can actually help it make, help have the data make you management actionable decisions still seems to be uh, a struggle. Um, you know, and I know, you know, we, you and I spent a bunch of time talking about that and, you know, some of this older legacy iron, if you will, that supported uh, data and, and databases and, and now some of the newer stuff that's, that's available. So I, I think that's a great call out. You know, you, you mentioned tech. Uh, and, and these businesses not necessarily being tech companies. How do you deal with this whole shiny new object, you know, from a feature and function perspective? Uh, you're getting tens and, and, and hundreds of, of reach out from, you know, companies all the time. How do you distill down to what you really need? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and, and um, you know, there, there's never been a time where I've uh, received more outreach it gets, it does get overwhelming at times. I think 
what I would say is that uh, there, there's ends of the spectrum, right? You, you certainly don't want to close yourself off to not only understanding what's out there, uh, but how the, the landscape is shifting and, and open your eyes and ears to new ends in various categories, right? But on the other end of the spectrum, you know, if, if sort of you become a, a serial tester, uh, then that not only drains, you know, uh, uh, resources, but focus uh, as well. And that can be, that can be tough. Uh, and I've seen, uh, I've seen teams and, and brands run into challenges when, when that becomes the case. I think the best, the best answer I can give is that put yourself in a position to be constantly evaluating, even if that means you are more often than not parking something in a you know, to be determined uh, bucket versus yes, let's pilot uh, or let's move forward uh, type of bucket. And I think we're getting better and better uh, at uh, being able to do pretty efficient evaluations, uh, not only of new entrants, uh, but frankly, ongoing evaluations of our own roadmap, given the shifts in the landscape that we're seeing. All right. So you were at American Eagle, uh, you leave there and you go to Children's Place. Uh, I had an opportunity to um, a couple of things. You know, when we when we left American Eagle in Pittsburgh, my wife and I certainly consider uh, the New York area home, uh, and so the opportunity to return closer to home. Plus, it was an opportunity for me to be uh, sort of the the lead e-commerce you know individual inside the organization, uh, including functions like uh, merchandising and planning which I had not overseen previously. Uh, and I had the opportunity to work with really uh, an exceptional team, uh, again, at a time when we experienced really incredible growth in the digital space uh, and certainly through commercial e-com. But at the time, uh, I, I also had an opportunity to be part of the early digitization roadmap for the Children's Place, which included uh, laying the groundwork for omni-channel programs that they would launch uh, years later. So in, in these various brands, I imagine, and because you've been at this a while, that's not a dig on your age, Mike. Um, <laughs> it's okay. Um, you, you've seen lots of, of different structures, you know, kind of, you know, from the perspective of, do you have silos? Are there no silos? Is it omni-channel? Is it multi-channel? Can you talk a little bit about how you've seen the evolution in the businesses you've been involved? Yeah, uh, it's a great question, and, and I, I would say in the in the earlier days, uh, early two thousands, uh, what you what you saw within uh, many uh, brands and retailers was that uh, the e commerce uh, teams and the digital teams were uh, sort of incubated as somewhat separate from the rest of the organization, and I think that was important to allowing something that that operated and looked and felt different. Uh, from the rest of the organization to sort of uh, germinate and and grow. You know, I think in the late 2000s, you saw many of the leaders in the space begin to, as, as Omnichannel began to emerge as a, as a concept and the businesses uh, became a more uh, important and more significant portion of total sales. Uh, and you saw more integrated Omni organizations, if you will, start to start to emerge. What's been interesting is that, you know, fast forward 10 years later, and there are still very successful examples of both, 
where there are uh, digital e-com organizations that still operate as entities of themselves uh, and those that have evolved into uh, more sort of channel-less uh, environments, uh, you know, now that e-com is contributing 20, 25, 30% uh, of total sales. It's interesting because I had the same kind of perspective, you know, that we're moving towards, you know, this cohesive, you know, multi-channel, omni-channel, and then the SACS deal happens. And, you know, I don't know how much you know about it. I certainly don't know anything more than I read, but, and I understand, I think that, you know, they're operating now as, you know, a retail, you know, kind of arm and a, and a web arm. And the, the impetus behind that, I believe was to gain investment, to gather investment, to really drive the digital business. What do you make of that? I think it's a very interesting development. Uh, certainly, uh, something that we we uh, saw and and are paying close attention to, uh, uh, and it'd be very interesting to see how that how that plays out. Okay, good. <laughs> um, so you you continuing on the the. Uh the evolvement of your career, you know, you go from uh, the children's place and to party city. Is that, that was the next stop, right? Yes. So tell us a little bit about that. That's a different business model perhaps than some of the other businesses. Very different business model. Uh, a lot of fun, as you can imagine, if you can't have fun in the party business, you can't have fun, but uh, it was an opportunity for me to uh, be chief digital officer for the first time to go into a company that was private equity owned, uh, pre-IPO, uh, work with a, just a really sharp management team. I had the opportunity there, again, sort of as a, as a next evolution point uh, from my time at, at Children's Place. Yes, of course, there was you know, uh, commercial objectives in terms of the growth of, of e-commerce, but, but the, the role of the chief digital officer, I think at that point, uh, 2013, it started to evolve into also a, either an owner or certainly a key st stakeholder in omni-channel strategy. Uh, and then what began to emerge at that point also uh, with the advancements in, I would say customer data uh, was that the customer data landscape began to enter the mix of, of the uh, CDOs at the time. Those, those three elements were really interesting and exciting to me. Uh, and I had an opportunity again to work with a terrific team on a very fun business. Do you have a direct-to-consumer business? I enjoy connecting with guests on this podcast because it reminds me what I love to do, strategic and tactical consulting for businesses like yours. If you'd like to speak with me about your business and see how you can add a fresh set of eyes to your team, contact me at mark at detailsinteractive.com. Now let's get back to the marketing playbook. You know, one of the uh, the things about e-commerce, you know, there's you, you go to you know e-commerce sites and, you know, you can have I, I kind of look at the spectrum. You can have a site that's very branding oriented. You can have a site that's very transactional and commercial oriented. And then, you know, it feels like, you know, many businesses are trying to find that happy you know, medium, you, you leave, you know, you, you go from American Eagle to uh, Children's Place to Party City. And now you you come to PVH Calvin Klein. That's at least as a perception, uh, you know, somebody that knows those businesses, very different creative execution than the businesses you came from. So what kind of transition was that for you? Yeah, the, the move for me to PBH was, and I, and I had made this decision, you know, in my career leading up to that, where for me, I had tried to lean into what I felt were 
experience gaps for me. And, and the move to PBH was primarily motivated by my own perception that I needed to lean into my global e-com experience gap. I really wanted to uh, have an opportunity to learn more and, and to understand how to lead uh, a global e-commerce, a truly global e-commerce business. Clearly with PBH uh, and, and with my uh, global Calvin Klein role, that was, that was the opportunity that I was looking for. And uh, I had an, a really a terrific experience working with PBH and working with the people who uh, lead and steward the Calvin Klein brand uh, around the world. Uh, I had an opportunity to travel uh, pretty extensively uh, in Asia, South America, and Europe meet with and, and work with the teams on the ground in, in all of those regions of the world. Uh, and it was truly uh, an amazing experience working at Brand at that time. Great call out. You know, one of the, the key things about the podcast that I, I do, we try to promise the listener some, you know, three key takeaways, and then we kind of summarize it at the end. I think the one that you just called out about leaning into the gaps that you have in your career, uh, oftentimes people are afraid to lean into those gaps. They, they tend to want to go to the things that they know. Um, so I, I think that's a great thing for, uh, for listeners to take away. I couldn't agree more. I think as you you know, as you start to get 15, 20 years or more into your career uh, and you look back, I think the, the moments you'll remember the most are the moments where you took those risks and when you leaned into those gaps uh, and not necessarily where you made an easy decision, but where you made a more difficult one. Yeah, I was uh, liking back very different than what yours, but I got out of a, I was a CPA early in my career. Thankfully, I moved away from being a CPA and, and, uh, you know, went into the marketing uh, channel. And, you know, that was, uh, it was a big risk for me at the time because it wasn't something that I had ever studied. Uh, and, you know, it's turned out well. And I, I could not have been happy being an accountant. <laughs> no offense to all the accountants out there. None. Um, talk about culture. Also, you know, the, the different, outsider perspective, the companies you've worked in have very different cultures. How do you mm -hmm. play the role in, in the positions that you've had in crafting the culture or even changing it for that matter? Yeah, it's, it's something that I spend an awful lot of time thinking about and working on, had the opportunity to lead new, small and young, often young teams uh, inside organizations that are well-established. And that for me is something that dates back to my early agency days. You know, when we were building out the first interactive groups or digital groups inside of agencies, when I look back on my career, I've essentially done that in almost every case. In fact, the fact that now our business, uh, the digital businesses are substantial portions of, of the business. It, it almost feels different now. It felt similar in, in so many of these other uh, chapters. But I think to answer your question, I think for me, building teams that uh, over-index on softer skills around collaboration, uh, around partnership, around transparency are, are essential building blocks. You certainly need to hire you know, the best and the brightest, but you need to instill a culture uh, in these teams where whether it's working with finance or IT or design or planning or merchandising or strategy, you name it. Uh, the teams that I've, I've had the opportunity to, to oversee 
we cannot be successful without every one of those functions that I just mentioned uh, being supportive of us, our endeavors, our team, the initiatives we're trying to oversee and push through, uh, you know, without the right spirit, without the right culture within that team, you know, uh, we really can't make the progress we need to make. That's great. You know, I, I talked to a lot of people, you know, they have titles, you know, I've talked to, you know, a number of CEOs. And, you know, one of the things that I tried to, if I remember to ask, you know, folks is, you know, you have a title, chief digital officer. What does that really mean? What, what do you do every day? So there, there's, I've been a CDO a couple of different times and I had a, a senior digital role at PVH as well. And, um, you know, I'm convinced that uh, I'm not sure any CDO has, has a precisely the same role. So I actually, I, 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 I like that about this, this role and, and how quick this space is moving. So, so to me, that's a, that's a benefit. And I think we need to we kind of need to be contortionists many times because you come into an organization and they're at, at various stages of, of digital maturity and, and you need to lean in to those gaps in, in capability and accentuate you know, the differentiators uh, at the same time. But I think if, if I had to break it down, I would say um, you know, foremost, ownership of the, of the commercial business uh, being through digital channels is sort of job one. Growth, sustained growth, uh, and profitability in in the commercial businesses through digital is job number one. You know, number two, I would say, uh, and, and for Spark specifically, uh, our vision is to build out uh, a uh, single set of tools and technology, uh, a digital platform, if you will, that all of our portfolio brands ultimately will plug into, uh, giving us opportunity not only to uh, increase our speed. Uh, within our, our digital roadmap, uh, but also uh, leverage our cost structure and, uh, and, and enable the brands to be as agile and profitable uh, as possible. And then third, I mentioned before, the, the challenges uh, and, and the future of customer data uh, is the third area that uh, I spend a lot of time on uh, and I'm excited every day to work on the challenge associated with that. And similarly, our goal there is to build out a singular platform uh, that the brands can operate out of, uh, enabling us consistency and, and agility and speed. That's great. Good answer. And, and one of the things I was going to ask, but I think you just answered, you know, kind of what's the mandate for your role at Spark level. Um, and, you know, I think you, you covered that. So that, that's helpful. Thank you. So as I end these uh, shows, we do a little two-minute drill. Um, I know you're a sports guy, so two-minute drill, you, you get that. You ready? I, I hope so. Okay. A brand that you admire or that inspires you? Uh, I, would say, I would say Patagonia. Uh, I, okay. I admire their balance of, of commercial and, and community uh, and activist uh, agenda. I, I, I admire what they do. Great. The favorite app on your phone? Favorite app on my phone. I am a barbecue uh, guy and I have a Traeger grill, uh, which for, for your audience, if you haven't looked into it, I strongly encourage and I am not sponsored by Traeger, but they happen to have a mobile app um, remotely turn on and adjust the temperature of my grill and whatever is inside it, but they have great content as well. And, and as the summer approaches, uh, I can tell you, I am warming up my Traeger app. All right. Well, I like brisket, you know, so a little burnt ends. Um, I'll be over, Mike. Okay. I have done it uh, on the Traeger and it is spectacular. All right. 
the last website other than Amazon that you shopped from? Uh, with two teenage kids, uh, son who uh, uh, is into shoes, Nike.com. Okay. Something that you're not good at, but that you wish that you were? Crossword puzzles. Charitable organization. <laughs> A charitable organization that you're passionate about. Uh, my wife and I, many years, have supported uh, the Wounded Warrior Foundation, and uh, I think it's a terrific organization, and we we, we do our best to support what they do. Very we nice. also do support a number of local community uh, organizations within our community here in New Jersey, and uh, we have a home up in the Adirondacks, and uh, between lake preservation and, and other community uh, organizations up there, that's that's what we like to support. Very nice. If you had one superpower, what would it be? Mark, if I had a superpower, it would be forgiveness. Okay. The power yeah. to forgive relinquishes anybody's power over you. <laughs> and the last one, other than family, what's your most prized possession? But now I know it's got to be the Traeger Grill. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, well, it's where the Traeger Grill resides most of the time, which is up uh, at our place in the Adirondacks. We have a place uh, up on a lake there. And it is, uh, it is a priceless escape for us. Well, that's great. Mike, thank you for uh, doing the show. I, I, I think you hit on a lot of really good topics for the listener. Um, it's always been very easy to have a conversation with you. I've, I've enjoyed those uh, 8 a.m. talks that we had for many, many months and uh, kind of going through the, the, the things we needed to get done for the day. So uh, best of luck to you and your family and, and the team at Spark. Uh, and uh, look forward to catching up with you soon. Mark, thank you very much. I appreciate it. That's it. Today's game ball goes to Mike Dupuy for coming on the Marketing Playbook. To me, today's three game-winning marketing plays were as follows. Number one, as digital commerce has developed, brands have had to come to the realization that they're not only product development or marketing companies. Digital commerce has required them to reinvent themselves to realize that they must also be technology, e-commerce, and even data-driven businesses. As you develop your roadmaps, all of these capabilities must be considered. Number two, Mike gave a good description of the culture that he tries to create and how he builds a team. He referred to building teams that overrepresent on soft skills. It's okay to hire the best and the brightest, but you need to surround yourself with the people that will be able to collaborate effectively with others in the organization. And number three, Mike spoke about leaning into the gaps in your career. It's human nature to be comfortable, but with your career, sometimes it's best to push into those areas that'll round out your experiences. Mike believed that he was light on his global experience, so his move to PVH helped to build out that experience. Do not be afraid to venture into roles that stretch your skills. Thank you, Playbook Marketers, for listening to another episode. If you want to check out more pages of the Marketing Playbook, make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast spot and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter at Details Interact and learn more at DetailsInteractive.com. Until next time, the devil is in the details.